Lucky you. 36 you pistols and golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about Sandy. golf. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> if you like our content, we ask you to please hit the subscribe button and hit the bell icon. Well, boy, are we lucky today. We are so, so lucky today. All you Alternate Shots podcast fans, we have a special guest. Billy and I couldn't be more thrilled. I think he's going to be one of our top guests over the years. And he is none other than John D'Andrea. Oh, you don't know that name? Okay, you're going to know him. As my friend Alicia says, the man who is Bird. Birdman. Welcome to the podcast. We couldn't be more thrilled to have you here. How are you? Thanks, Bobby. Nice to be here. You, you're far too kind with that introduction. The only time <laughs> I've ever seen you this early in the morning is when I drew the short straw in the member member. Got the seven <laughs> o'clock tee off time. It really is not a 7.30 TM up do sweeper guy. Uh, early for Billy is one minute before nine. Regular for Billy is nine. <laughs> so, John. John, tell us, you're a Larchmont guy growing up near Wingfoot. You remember, you know, how you came, stumbled into that gate and what your first experiences were? We got to love to hear this. Yeah, Absolutely. It, it feels like it was yesterday. I, the memories are so vivid. I mean, I'm thinking it starts, the story starts around 1972. You know, I was probably in second grade at the time and I had a classmate Bobby, you probably remember him. His name was John Burleson. He was my classmate and his parents were members. And his grandfather would take us up uh, to go fishing in the pond out of Four East when I was like, you know, nine years old. Um, and we'd fish with his grandfather and then he'd take us up to the terrace and we'd have lunch and we'd sit there and watch all these people come by. And uh, he, John started caddying a little bit before me he probably started caddying in 74. We were the same age. Uh, I started caddying in 75. But he took right. you fishing. That's great. Yeah. No, his his father didn't play golf. And uh, he didn't. I mean, he may have greased Gene, but that wasn't the reason. He had an incredible work ethic. He was up there, sun up to sundown. And he just loved the place. And he actually saved up enough money to buy an Alfa Romeo sports car brand new through his caddying money by wow. the time he was like a sophomore in high school. Um, yeah, must have been the just, envy of the school. Yeah, he was, uh, he was he's a great guy. But it was through him that I got to Wingfoot. So we used to come up and screw around on the putting green. And, you know, eventually I started caddying there in 75. Did so you have any idea how, what was in store for you over the years, coming years? No, no, no idea, but... Um, what I will say is uh, in 1975 was the first year I was caddying there. Evil Knievel shows up at Wingfoot. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of people in this year don't realize it, but 1975 Evil Knievel was the equivalent of Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali. He was a global icon. Um, yeah. He had just, he had just jumped over unsuccessfully 13 buses at Wembley in front of 80,000 people, um, fractured his pelvis, broke his hand, 
um, was paid a million dollars for it. The following year, he jumped in Kings Island in Ohio and 57% of U.S. households tuned in to view it. It's a record. It's never that happened is- again. That gives you an idea how popular he was. So anyway, he shows up at Wingfoot. I didn't caddy for him, but I remember who was, I went out and followed him. I remember who was in the group. Uh, it was him, Doug Sanders, his manager, and Kelly Mosier. But many, many of us watched them because it was it was better than the U.S. Open because you had so much gambling going on here, right? What was the gambling exactly. like? Exactly. Well, first of all, he had a cane uh, because he had he had just he had crashed a couple months earlier, so he was limping. He took a cart, but he had a cane with him, and the cane had a di- it was encrusted with diamonds on the top in the symbol of a motorcycle, and it was a flask. He showed it to me, unscrewed flask, and he filled it up with vodka. So, you know, he would walk down the fairway and he would drink out of this cane. And he was by far one of the most charismatic people I ever met in my life. I mean, an incredible personality. And you probably did, too. They had stupid bets. I remember on Three West, and you probably were there, too. Somebody, maybe it was the business manager, hit it in a bunker, or Doug Sanders hit it in a bunker. Back in the mid-70s, right, John? It was a $500 negative garbage. So you lost $500 to every other guy, right? But if you got it up and down, you got $1,500. So there was a $1,000 profit to be made by putting it in the bunkers. Exactly. The, the other interesting thing was they let the caddies hold the money. So they paid out on every hole. Every hole was a payout. So whoever lost the money, they had to pay out, and the caddies were holding the money. But back though, then in the 70s, there were very few carts. They had probably six or eight golf carts going on. The girlfriend was there, and there was ice and some frescas in the back of that golf cart. This is at 8 o'clock in the morning, right? Well, they, they played twice. They My my memory is they played Wingfoot twice. And uh, the first time they played, they had Doug Doug Sanders was famous for traveling with escorts and they had two escorts with them, beautiful women in a golf cart. And they let me ride in the cart with them. So here I am, here I am a 12 year old kid riding around with these two escorts and the carts filled with booze. And these guys are playing for a couple thousand dollars a hole. And I looked around and I thought, man, this is it. I'm going to, this, I'm going to spend the rest of my time doing watching this and doing this. I mean, I was hooked. Um, I can remember um, Kelly's wife who oh, worked yes. in the shop came came out and she was, I think she, she didn't come out, but she watched him on the turn. And she said, I remember her saying, we don't, we don't have that kind of money. You know? <laughs> and I did with Gene Hayden and, and his, was it his nephew, Jeff, but the, the caddies were legendary back then. I was telling Billy about Bud Girardi and then there was Murph the Surf, right? Tasty, remember Tasty and Cab Calloway? Who, who are yeah. your favorite guys and what were their nicknames? And tell us about those I mean, guys back then. You, you've nailed a couple of them. One of my favorites was a guy by the name of Ice Cream Don. And uh, the reason he got the nickname was he used to drive the Good Humor truck. And he was a big drinker and he would park the Good Humor truck in New Rochelle. It was a bar there and he'd go into the bar. And it was just a matter of time before the kids figured out his routine. So they used to raid the truck every day while he was in there getting drunk. <laughs> nice. His brother, his brother had a, had like a management job in the ice cream company. So his <laughs> brother was always able to cover it for him at the end of the day. 
Well, one day they stole the truck, and, and that was it. They it stole was, the truck. That's a tougher <laughs> one to cover for there. They, they, they couldn't cover it, so he became a caddy. And so he, <laughs> he showed up with his like white son. And so Gene nicknamed oh, him. Remember. So he, 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 was one of, he was one of my favorites. Then you had another guy. Uh, you probably remember him, Bobby, named Sammy Davis. We called him oh, Sammy, Sammy Davis. Oh, Sammy Davis. Looked just like him. He looked, yeah, he looked just like him. And he was dressed to the nines. And he used to call, hey, boss man, come on, boss man. Put me out there, boss man. He used to sit right in front of Gene. And finally, Gene would be so aggravated with him, he'd just send him out on the golf course. But Zeke, he caddied for Hinman and Tutwiler, the two finest amateurs, when they came up to Wingfoot for the Anderson. But he was every bit as good as them. And he might have been a professional golfer if he was around today. Agreed. I mean, Gene Hayden told me exactly the same thing. He said to me one time, you know, this guy could have been out there playing with them. Birdman, I'm really curious. This means you, you were there the day Pat Collins started them. Yes. Yes. What was that like? You know, Pat had worked there for years. I mean, his father caddied there um, and worked on the weekends. So he did the scoring on the weekends. So he knew everybody. Um, so there wasn't there wasn't really a transition. I mean, he just he just took over. He knew everything and everyone there. Um, there was no learning curve, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I can remember time. Um, you know, we were all young, you know, restless juveniles, and Gene Gene was really strict. And when Gene left, we were kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if we want to do this or not. So we'd be hanging around down the pool, down by the pool. And Pat would come down and grab us. You know, we didn't really want to work. We weren't sure what we wanted to do. And so Pat would have to go down there and round us up. Come on, get up here. Get, up here. <laughs> <laughs> get these bags up there. Yeah. <laughs> put, the, put those cigarettes out. You know, he used to say, he used to say to us, smoke and get back. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we, we missed the elephant in the room. How did you come and acquire your nickname? How did you acquire it? And, and how has it stayed with you all these 50 plus years? Yeah, good question. I mean, it, Gene Hayden kind of dropped it on me. I mean, he back then, if you remember like the um, the railing where the bags are set now, those were hedges at one time. And um, Gene used to go up into the grill every morning and he used to take the the uh, dinner rolls, the bread rolls from the night before. There'd be a big bag of them and he'd bring them down and he'd have us break them up and put them on the uh, put them on the hedge. And so he'd say, hey, come here, bird man, you got these birds, feed these birds over here. So that's kind of where it started. And, you know, it's like anything else. It, it, I guess it I guess it stuck and it evolved. And, you know, then once I started traveling with the grateful dead, they were kind of, I was kind of there one week and gone the next. And, yeah. um, you know, somebody, somebody once said, yeah, it's, he's looking for the perfect perch. He's not here right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was Shorty and Norman and Shorty was a phenomenal guy. He was part American Indian, um, native American Indian. And, uh, he lived in Revere beach down in Florida. So what happened was when Claude was the pro at Seminole, Claude was encouraging those guys to come up and caddy at Wingfoot. So that's how they ended up at Wingfoot. They came up through Claude. They were all Seminole caddies. And they'd come up and caddy at Wingfoot in the summer. And he he was a he was a one shorty was a wonderful guy. What wonderful about guy. Another, another great guy. Very, very smooth, dressed to the nines. 
I used to get out with Shorty a lot because if there was a threesome or something, I'd be out early with Shorty. And nobody had a bank account back then. And he'd take out his money on 15 West and he'd start counting it. You know, he had his whole seat, the money, and he'd be counting it. And then the guy would hit and he'd look and then he'd have to start the count over again. And, <laughs> and he said to me one time, he says, I'm not like these other caddies. I'm groundhog my money. He said, I groundhog it. And this interesting yep. picture about this tree is, is it's not there anymore, as we talk about. And the circle is now totally uh, open. Matter of fact, they'll put tables and chairs out there for weddings or other big events. But, you know, compare your recollections of Wingfoot back into the 70s to the 2020s now. What what was it like then and what is it like now? I mean, I say this to people all the time. They're like, wow, you've been there a long time. You must know this golf course. And I said, not really. I mean, this is not the golf course I grew up on, um, especially in terms of the greens. Um, very different um, in terms of, you know, reading greens now, in terms of reading greens, you know, 10 years ago. Very different. Um, I'm not as familiar with the greens now as I was back then. Um, yeah, it's for me, it's a lot more. Obviously, it's a lot more wide open. Um, I don't know. The game has changed so much. Um, I, I sound like, uh, you know, I guess I sound like everybody at some point where they just look back and go, wow, it seemed like it was a lot better back then than it is now. Before, maybe just before you got there, I caddied for Bob Goldby, you know, Bob or you knew Bob through Jay and all that. And, yep. and it was seven inches and it was brutal. But this rough here today, which is what, two and a half inches, Billy? It's just yep. as bad. It's different because like I've said before, it leads you to believe you can actually hit a, a club out of there that you can't. So it makes you, it invites you and challenges you to, to try something that might be a little, that you wouldn't have tried in seven inch rough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you look at what Phil did on 5 West uh, on Sunday. I think it was on Sunday. I mean, he tried to hit something out of the rough. It went 10 feet or something. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, to your point. If that, if that cost him a shot, that cost him everything. I mean, there's a you can always go back and find one shot that would have changed everything, but that's sure. that one glares at you. But in, in the eight Open, uh, I mean, golf was not, still not that big. We had 10 corporate tents on the driving range. I mean, the country was kind of coming out of a recession. Golf wasn't that big. So the, 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 the galleries weren't that big compared to what they are today. But on Sunday, I have friends of mine that lived right across the street from Fred Corcoran's house. So I spent a lot of time on Griffin Avenue there. And on Sunday, I came out of their house to watch the last couple groups play. And I walked across onto the back of the 15th West Green. And Jack was paired with Lee Trevino that day. And they weren't that far out of the hunt. I mean, Trevino finished top 10 in 84. But I remember standing on the back of that green, and the only person back there was Phil Clark. He was standing there smoking a cigar, and we watched him putt out. And Trevino turned to Nicholas as they were walking off the greens, and he said, God, I'm glad I don't have to caddy at this golf course. I haven't read a putt right all day. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, they headed to 16, and there was nobody out there. I mean, and they weren't that far back. I mean, um, so we watched them hit off, and then eventually Norman and Fuzzy, you know, came to came to 15, and then there was a gallery. But um, So let's take a look at the 1984 U.S. Open at Wingfoot final round. Norman versus Zeller. Pretty dramatic. Go five or six feet back. 
Not bad looking putt though, is it? Can you believe it? Do you think that some things are fate and some things are meant to be because you can't do any better than that? That is almost awesome and godlike. Fuzzy, <laughs> he may think he's made a birdie. I don't know what Fuzzy thinks. He'll I'm running on four, four, four. four. One putt, uh, two putt, one putt. Would you like goal. to go over the three fours that man just made? <laughs> in 16, 17, uh, 18? You can't make one four out of the three. No. I think it's just incredible. And that, when you try and explain to non-golfers what this game's all about and how it can change, it, it's seemingly such a passive game. He surrenders. He sur <laughs> <laughs> that is marvelous, you see. That is something. Another great open at Wingfoot, the 1984 U.S. Open. So much drama, so many great players, as you heard before. Nicholas and Trevino were in there. Nicholas hadn't yet won his 1986 Masters, so they were capable of winning majors. So they played off the next day, Monday. They went down number one west, and they both birdied one, one west to start the playoff. And then uh, Fuzzy makes this 60, 70, 80 footer. I don't remember how long it was. From the back of two west to the front. And Norman makes a double bogey, and it was over at that point. What a great open, the 1984 U.S. Open. Did you ever have any experiences with Fred Corcoran? Uh, he was still playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, you know, I, I caddied for him a lot, and he was he was kind of a gr grumpy old guy. So he, I'd get him, and he'd say to me, uh, he'd have a cart, and he'd say, you're carrying the bag. You're not putting it on the cart. All right, whatever. And then we'd get to, like, the back nine, and he always played in the afternoon, and he said to me, uh, so why didn't you get here early this morning? I said, I was here early this morning. What do you mean? Did you caddy already? I said, yeah, I already went 18 holes. And then he felt better. Oh, put that bag on the cart. I didn't, I didn't know that. So <laughs> we'd get to his house and, you know, he was playing with Sammy Kay and Howard Carter and his buddies. And they'd go in there and they'd start getting drunk. His wife would come out and she'd bring us coke and stuff. And they'd get, they'd get so lit that at a certain point, his wife would come out and say, they're not going to finish the round, so you can go on back. <laughs> Fred Corcoran was perhaps the guy that started sports agency, right? He was Dave yep. Diedrichson, Zaharia, Sam Snead. He was he was everybody's agent back then and there, the, you know, all the greats, right? And uh, he was the most creative guy, the standard bearer today, the one that walks around with the scores. He invented that. You weren't friends with, with Fred Corcoran. You were invited. The 14th East is about, what, 150 yards from that tee over to his back. People would go over there, and then they, they wouldn't sit there like Fred and Sammy Kay and Howard Carter. They would go on. But plenty of people have had the uh, special pleasure of, of of his backyard. The halfway house. Well, I knew Billy from Wingfoot a little bit. Not that well, but in 1980. I dropped out of school after about three months and um, a friend of mine was going out to caddy on the tour. And uh, he said, why don't you come with me? And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. But I was more interested in seeing the Grateful Dead on New Year's Eve in San Francisco. So <laughs> that was the first stop. And uh, and that's what I did. And then I met him down at um, at Pebble Beach um, and um, and I started caddying. That's the tour kind of started. There was a tournament called the Spalding Tournament. It was kind of an unofficial event. And that's what kind of kicked off the year. So I caddied on that West Coast swing in 1980. And then I got to know Billy better. One thing led to another. And um, 
you know, over the years, I was more interested in going to Grateful Dead concerts than I was in caddying on the tour. There was no question. How many, how many dead concerts? Over 130, um, all over the world. So you're the real McCoy. Yeah. I, 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 I an original deadhead. I had, I had some great, great times with them. So, um, so I wasn't, you know, and the guys that, the guys that I knew out there that were my age that started caddying when I did, people like Tony Navarro ended up caddying for Greg Norman for 10 years. Mike Hicks to Payne Stewart. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that stayed out made it, they made it real big. Uh, I wasn't really that interested. I was more interested in going to concerts. So I drifted all on and off the tour. I would come in and out and that's how I got to know Billy. And through Billy, I got to know Jay and, um, uh, Billy set me up with Jay to caddy for him at Westchester one year. And uh, we were paired with Freddie Couples and Jack Nicholas. I mean, uh, talk about a talk about a pairing. Um, and, and Jack had brought um, a guy by the name of Willie Peterson up from Florida to caddy for him. Willie Peterson had won the Masters with him every year, except the one that he, his last Masters that he won with his son. So he was a he was a legendary Augusta caddy. Um, and the other caddy was a guy by the name of Squeaky, who went on to caddy for Nick Price and had yeah. an incredible career out yeah. there. And then died of leukemia, really tragically. Well, Squeaky so, was the guy um, that Nick Price may have had a baby. And so he didn't have Nick for that uh, big uh, PGA. And who did he take? He took uh, John Dale. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He, wonderful guy. Passed away. He had leukemia and died. So anyway, that's. That's how I, um, that's how I got in. That's how I met Jay was through Billy. Billy might've been the best golfer, right? He might've been the one to follow in Claude's footsteps. What's your opinion? Yeah. Billy was super talented. Um, people don't realize Butch won the BC open. Butch actually won a PGA tour event. Um, so he, he was obviously very talented, but I think, I think you're right. And I think if you had asked Claude, I think that's what he probably would have said too. Um, Billy was incredibly talented. What I just learned is that the Wingfoot membership owes the Grateful Dead a great deal of gratitude. <laughs> because <laughs> there, exactly. would be no, there would be no Birdman at Wingfoot if, if it weren't for the dead. Well, actually, you could you could say you could you could turn it around and say, actually, I owe the Wingfoot membership a lot of gratitude because without Wingfoot, I would have never gotten any of those concerts. I came, <laughs> I would I would come in and out. I would work for like a week or two and then in between tours and boom. And then I was gone. Um, and I, I got one, one last great story for you. I, so I'm caddying for Jerry Haas, who's Jay's younger brother in the open at Shinnecock and Billy's caddying for Jay. Um, guy by the name of Lynn Strickler, who was a legend, was caddying for Curtis Strange. And we're playing a practice round and what Tom Watson joins us. Bruce Edwards is caddying for Tom Watson. So we go out, the, uh, Watson just joins us. So Bruce stays back in the tee because Watson's still getting his act together. So we go out on the back nine, we're four caddying. And I just come off a Grateful Dead tour. And they look at me and they say, we know you're holding, get it out, break it out. So I pull out a joint, we light it up in the practice round. And Lynn is kind of fumbling around and he goes to Billy, Billy, give me a cigarette. And Billy goes, what, what do you want a cigarette for? And he says, and he, he had a voice like Clint Eastwood. He said, I don't want to have to tell 
Curtis, he's got 138 to the front and have it come out Lebanese. So, <laughs> so it, it's, it's one of the most tolerant memberships in the world. And I've always said that. Um, and fortunately, there's still a few people there that tolerate me. So, um, are you the senior around there now? There a, are there, is there you know, there's there's a guy by the name of Ken, there's a guy by the name of Kenny Wesley who Bobby knows. Oh yeah. And Kenny's been there since like I think the late 50s. Wow. Family Gus, uh, Al, nope. Al worked at IBM. Do you have My any pleasure. favorite holes, Bird? Is your do you have two or three favorite holes, or because of some experience or what? I mean, yes, for sure. I mean, I lived there for a couple of years. I took care of Paul Callahan's house, um, and then. For the last, I guess you guys know, Buddy Stewart just passed away. I, yeah. I took care of Buddy's house for the last 10 years, um, and that's right across the street. So 10 and 11 West are really close to me. I mean, I mean, can you remember, Bobby, Walter Cole? That whole, that whole yard was a putting green without a company. Maybe Walter or maybe Teddy Horton just felt, well, I'm going to go have those Toro motors go over there and do his yard because every day it was cut. It was not like anybody else's backyard. It looked like the fringe of any uh, Wingfoot Hall. People literally walked off that tee and gasped when they looked out at that lawn. I mean, it was, it was that, uh, it was that unusual. We're going to have to have you back again because we only, we just scratched the itch, right, Billy? I learned a lot of things today that I didn't know. You've got 98% stories still left to tell us, and they're still all clean. <laughs> <laughs> the names have changed to protect the to protect the guilty. Thanks, Birdman. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper. today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Marky. subscribe to Two the show Adder. and hit Claude the bell Harmon. icon so you get notified Movie classics. of new episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard. Job. And hit him off. That's 36 holes.